Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who can definitely perform putting it on the Ritz while murdering someone. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, God, I love Peter Boyle. I just, me too. I, just I do. absolutely. I when I like turned on the movie, like when I like looked into the, like loaded up, I was like, Peter Boyle's in this. Fuck yes, sign <laughs> yes. me up. This will. N- there is, there's no way this will go wrong, in any capacity. So many, so many of them are in this movie, but but this 1970s like character actor where people who look like Peter Boyle are described as being in their early 50s and probably were actually in their early 50s, but but still look like someone who's 80 years yeah, old. Yeah, well, yeah, and, where, uh, who look like somebody dug a corpse up and then reanimated right, cause it. Because every, everybody's smoking too much. and uh, Well, that's, just, see, I that's one of the, like, legitimately, that is one of the reasons, I believe, legitimately, that that is one of the reasons why the gangster movie has aged along with De Niro, essentially. <laughs> yeah. And those guys, you know, because, like, basically you can't find – I'm sure they do exist, but, like, the the paradigm of what kind of person you would put in a movie means that any modern one featuring people who would be in their, like, mid-40s now will right. inherently feel weirdly uncanny valley to people. We're like, that guy's a yeah. mobster? He clearly right. has not been smoking – enough or had his fingers smashed in enough drawers <laughs> right 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 <laughs> absolutely yeah it's just you know the i think just the age of the character actor has also left hollywood too so oh, that, like, yeah i know, i would agree i mean that's true i mean i'm just every, thinking in terms of specifically mobster now. movies i essentially assume yeah. that the this the, the brand of mobster movie i actually enjoy watching will essentially die out with whichever one of them is the last one to go yeah, it, it's just over because you just can't make it because you don't have the right, as you said, like you don't have the right cadre of like kinds of actors, right, to do that. Any you you you're not gonna fucking put like a Chris Hemsworth in your mob right, movie, right, like right. you can. It's gonna be a fucking wild ride. It is gonna be very <laughs> weird to look at. I mean, presumably some, maybe at some point, some of the people we think of as those. At some point, maybe some of those guys are all going. Some of them are going to transition into essentially character actors because maybe, like maybe, I don't know that this system can keep that many people afloat at the same time. You know what I mean? It's like too many plates spinning. In terms I mean, of Joaquin like Phoenix, actors, Joaquin Phoenix is trying to do this sort of thing while still being the star of every movie, right? Uh, so it doesn't really make sense, but uh, but yeah, anyway. At least, at least there's someone attempting it, I guess, uh, even if he's doing it super annoyingly. <laughs> um, but um, Joaquin Phoenix and uh, who am I think Jared Leto, uh, much more annoyingly than right. Than Joaquin I mean, you're Phoenix, also certainly. describing my some of um, my well, at least with Jared Leto, you're describing somebody I would rather just not watch in a movie. But yeah.
Pat, before we get into the movie, I want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can get access to uh, bonus episodes and you can help keep us going. We do a non-Criterion film over there and supporters get to vote on what movie we're going to watch. So if you uh, want to help us decide on a non-Criterion film to watch, head over there. It's a dollar a month, as I said, and, you know, we take suggestions. We do. Yeah. And usually, if... Uh, if a list is suggested by uh, one of our supporters, we try our best to get that supporter on the episode as well. So we have guests over there a little more often and a little more wider variety of guests over there. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, of guests and of movies. Like, the whole thing over there is just a yeah. wider variety in general terms. <laughs> right, right, right. We've watched things like Critters 2 and Aliens and uh, Ready Player One and... Uh, Louis Malle's God's Country. It's just a really, really weird. Yeah, it mix is. Of it stuff. is. It, it is. Even it has a, no theme other than there is no. Even theme. somehow, yeah. Even somehow, a wider mix of stuff than the actual Criterion Collection. Where three weeks ago we were watching a bunch of nature documentaries, right? And, and then next we're week we're watching the movie we're American watch. gangster film, and next week we're watching Benjamin Button. Uh, anyway, um, but yeah, so. We have a lot of fun over there, and like I said, it's just a dollar a month. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. For a little extra, people who just uh, have the money and want to help keep us going a little bit more at $5 a month, we thank those people on air. So thank you so much to Eric Coronado and Stephen Goldmeyer, our current $5 supporters. And a little above that, we do something that I think is pretty dang special. Uh, It is pretty dang special. I agree. It is. It is. Yeah, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and uh, mail that we force you to take it. We mail it to (laughs) you and you're forced to have it now. It's like, well, you're like, I don't really want this. And the mailman's like, well, I'm leaving it here. (laughs) Right, right. It's not not mine. Why is this a woman's body with a Godzilla head? I don't under... (laughs) And then you're like, well, and the mailman's like, I don't know, man. You, You signed up for it. Like, here, take it. It's that's fair. Uh, the mailman, every mailman knows the entire history. So, <laughs> right, yeah, uh, the mailman's like, I know what this is. This is I clearly. Know this a- is. I know that. I know that you asked for it. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Yeah, the mailman's like, well, look, it says on here that you requested this. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, that is uh, that is ten dollars and above. Uh, Pat makes that piece of art, and I get it printed up on a postcard and mail it off to you with a little personalized note. We also like to thank those people on air. So thank you so much to Patrick Yako, Michael McGrath, Adam Spickerman, Jason Westhaver, and Chris Otto, our current yes. cadre of $10 and above supporters. Yes. If you want to see those postcards, you can head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criterion and see uh, most of the postcards. A couple have had yeah, takedown oddly enough, notices. Yeah. Some of the ones uh, referenced, so, they're not available. Yeah. They are not available, particularly that Godzilla one, uh, because Toho is a very litigious company. Uh, so that is unfortunate, but all of the rest you can see, you can buy uh, in postcard form, often in sticker form, sometimes in button form, if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, well, you can buy them in greeting card form, send them to your whole family for, yeah, for Christmas uh, or whatever the next Maybe major holiday is. Maybe I'll try to make a Christmas is. one for real. Well, you you usually do, but well, it I mean, usually yes, comes I do, out after re- Christmas. Because, yeah, like greetings because from our family to your out. family, and it's right, a right, picture right, right. of multiple Godzilla heads. 
There you go. So many Godzillas. All the Godzilla Christmases. Anyway, <laughs> I kind of want to play a game and see if I can hide Godzilla heads in mo- in postcards and see if the thing catches them. Like if I mess with them, how far <laughs> I can, how far I have to mess with the the image before the thing, can, right. the the system before can't the pick auto them up anymore. Yeah, the algorithm doesn't find it. I don't know. Possibly something to experiment with. We'll try it out. Oh, anyway, again, uh, patreon.com slash lost in criterion if you want to support us, and we greatly appreciate yes. those who do, and greatly appreciate all you listeners. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for receiving our art and not making us send it to you unsolicited. Pat, this week we are talking about The Friends of Eddie Coyle, a 1973 gangster movie. Yeah. Uh, directed by Peter Yates, who made his name in America by directing Steve McQueen in Bullet uh, in 68. That's why I had uh, so an overwhelming up. desire to watch Bullet right after this. <laughs> I <laughs> maybe, literally, maybe. like, after I finished this movie, I was like, I want to watch Bullet. And then I well, literally, the one, and then the, I went and absolutely turned it on right after that. Yeah. The one, uh, the one car chase in this movie is cut pretty short. So if you well, want, I don't, you want to, I don't want, you know, bullets got a lot of other <laughs> stuff going for it beyond car chases, but I suppose uh, it stars Robert Mitchum and Peter Boyle. Interesting enough, per our conversation in the introduction, uh, Robert Mitchum, who stars as Eddie Coyle, was actually originally approached for the bartender role that Peter Boyle plays. Uh, mm, interesting. Mitchum it is a the different movie. Mitchum. Mitchum is the biggest star in this movie. Mm-hmm. Robert Mitchum was famous. Everybody else, Richard, uh, Mitchum was a star. Everyone else is a character actor. Right. Um, obviously, Boyle's character is the the impetus of the plot of this movie. He is the protagonist in as much as I mean, Eddie he is Coyle's essentially name. the only moving component in the movie. <laughs> Right, he is. He is the only moving component of the movie. Uh, as much as he's in the background in the most of it. and uh, But yeah. Um, but yeah, Mitchum was, was hired to do that and for some reason decided to be uh, the title character instead. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Robert Mitchum is, to, is uh, rumored to have hung out with the Winter Hill mob while he was in while he was in uh, Boston filming this uh supposedly spending his evenings with Whitey Bulger uh the head of the the head of the uh, Irish mob in Boston where this movie takes place uh Whitey Bulger is the guy who inspired uh Jack Nicholson's character in The Departed um he uh, went to prison just a few years ago, I believe, uh, if I remember correctly. But I didn't double check on that, so maybe he didn't. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's based on the Winter Hill Mob. Um, it is based on a novel written by a guy named George V. Higgins, who was a former prosecutor turned uh, defense attorney. Um, he was G. Gordon Liddy's defense attorney <laughs> at one point, um, but he had a long and interesting career. Uh, but uh, but also was uh, was a writer and wrote the Friends of Eddie Coyle based on his experience, um, based on I don't know if particularly based on true happenings or just based on true characters. Right. Um, I am told from what I've read that this is a pretty accurate uh, representation of what the book has. I did not investigate the book at all. So, right. Uh, well, I mean, you know, I yeah. mean. Yeah, it's yeah. not really in the in this case. I would say because we're not really looking at it from that sort of critical lens. 
I would right, say it's probably right, right. not really that important anyway. Because the movie fundamentally on its own stands up as a story, so right. it doesn't really need to the be first, like like, oh, where did it go go wrong? The first thing in my notes I have written is one hundred minute English language with no bonus features and Peter Boyle. Yeah, no, I I was day. ecstatic. It feels like a fucking vacation. <laughs> It really does, after what we've been doing. And, of course, we ha- we just had the hit a couple of weeks ago, and that was his own sort of vacation. Yeah, it was. Well, the, the, the hit is, and it, it is fascinating that, like, they're they're bordering on companion pieces in the Criterion Collection, but right. not quite. There's there's spacing. Like, right. they didn't do that thing where it's, like, literally back-to-pack. But yeah. in many ways, kind of being about the same thing, but very different right. sort of renditions of that same thing. Um, right, 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 right mobsters facing their deaths right uh, i mean now now that it's been a couple of days since i watched it now i'm trying to recall is there a lot of synth music in there there is right no this has mostly <laughs> funk in it right doesn't it this one has mostly fun it's got very good music oh no it does um, i'm just like i now like i've started to already blend them together in my head where i'm like well yeah. okay because like funk and 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 that sort of like synth music are far apart but like at the same time are not so far apart yeah. that it's like well you got an orchestra soundtrack confused with a fucking like electric guitar. Right, it's more right, like right. the uh, yeah. The music here is done by uh, Dave Grusin, uh, who is yeah. He's done a lot of work. Uh, he's won an Academy Award and ten Grammys. Um, he. I mean, it's very good. Uh, it's very good. It's, it's very. It good. like works fucking perfectly. It has I, no notes. It's down. It's absolutely perfect. The music is just spot on throughout this entire movie yeah yeah i'm just yeah every so very very happy with the music through this anyway um did yeah. i did i mention <laughs> i own this because it was exactly one dollar more to buy it than it was to rent it and i was like <laughs> fuck i mean four dollars and fifty like four dollars and 99 cents to like i saw the castles i was like well i'm going to enjoy this like this is going yeah. to be a thing that like even if i never watch it again like my, why why not? Yeah, my my second note in this in my notes is I love this music. Yeah. So, no, I like, that's that was my that was I don't take notes because I'm a bad yeah. podcast member. Right. But I my initial reaction was essentially that. I I remember when it started up I was like, "Oh yeah. shit, like this music is um, beautiful." Before we get into I suppose talking plot plot line because there's plenty plenty to unpack there uh one one really quick connection uh to other movies that maybe we don't like as much okay um gonna the, bring the energy down cool the gun runner character in this movie uh the guy who eddie coyle is buying the weapons from mm-hmm. and is in the opening scene with eddie at the diner mm-hmm. uh, tells the story about his fingers too uh that guy's character name is jackie brown so guess who liked this movie? Um, uh, <laughs> that'll be Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, are you even a little bit surprised? Like, <laughs> no, not at all. Like, not at all. Raise your hand in the audience if you're surprised that, like, yeah, it's so. It, what's very fascinating to me, and like, I understand that this is how the world works, but like, I am fascinated by the idea that Quentin Tarantino likes this movie and then has never made anything like even remotely <laughs> resembling this movie. I mean, of course, right? Like, I mean, you don't make always make the things you like, but like, it's just fascinating to me that like, 
that's just this is just not his kind of movie at all but is a movie that he very much likes is i don't know that's just fascinating i i get it like you don't always make the things that you like but you know just interesting i don't know that he has any movies that are paced like this at all right right, right. there's i can't, I, don't know. I, I i mean i i don't know that i've, I've actually I've never seen, seen i've never seen i've jackie never brown. seen all of jackie brown so Maybe Jackie Brown is actually pretty close well, to this. Well, that would be just... fascinating because that would be such a wild departure from his normal style that like that right. that in and of itself would make it worth exploring because yeah. I I would like to see Tarantino n- trying not to be Tarantino. That would be a very fascinating <laughs> thing to see. Well, Jackie Brown can't be that because it was well it exists in a space where Tarantino was still becoming Tarantino. So Right. Well, yeah, I mean uh, and also presumably was well received by the people who like Tarantino. So A equals B equals C, right? Like, so, you know. Right. Right. Indeed. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> this is, uh, it's not quite as heady as the hit was, though it is, as I said, both movies are, about the existentialism of a life of crime. Right. I, I mean, they're playing in the same space, uh, but they're taking different tacks for it. And right, I think right, right. They, there's space for both of them, right? Like, absolutely. Oh, certainly. Like, certainly. I don't want to pit one against the other right. in, in any way, uh, even having watched them so close together. Um, but I think is, it's interesting because you can have them movie. be a con- in conversation with each other, right? Because right. not as like pitting them against each other, but the idea that, like, these are both ways to understand how that comes to an end, right? Like how, I mean, one, it's, uh, yeah, it's very fascinating. Like that, 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 that dichotomy is very yeah. fascinating though. I think the, uh, the guy who wrote the story, uh, Higgins and the, uh, and the movie, I think really, really captures this thing about Higgins. Uh, he's quoted in, uh, Ken Jones's essay, um, uh, with the criterion release, uh, to say, uh, I'm not doing dialogue because I like doing dialogue. The characters are telling you the story. I'm not telling you the story. They're going to do it. If I do it right, you'll get the whole story. And really, this movie is is a dialogue-driven film. Mm-hmm. It does not seem didactic in that. And The Hit also was a dialogue-driven film. Absolutely. Um, but it is it is a movie where everything we learn... <laughs> We learn through people telling us what it is, basically. Um, you know, there are there are bits of action sequence peppered throughout. I mean, but uh, there barely. are like there are a couple of really nice heists, but they're both very short. Um, the uh, the the parking lot scene again, very short. Uh, mostly, it is people in what would almost otherwise be liminal spaces, given how empty they are, uh, having conversations. <laughs> like the the bar's got like two guys in the background. They're in public parks where there's nobody. They're in uh, coffee shops that are nearly empty. Right. Uh, if you told me that this was, was filmed Gonzo style, like other than right, the fact that right, the pacing right. is just so it. sedate, I would almost believe it because, like, well, we used exclusively public fixtures that, like, right. would take a very long time for somebody to tell us we weren't allowed to be at. <laughs> right, right. To film everything. 
Yeah, it's just, it's so, yeah. Uh, it was filmed on location, and that's that's very obvious. Uh, it is a sort of portrait of the also-ran parts of Boston, I guess. Like, right. there's no, nothing you might consider to be famous Boston, which, what even do you consider to be famous right. Boston? Right, I mean, but... I'm not sure I can answer that question, but at the same time, <laughs> if that is the case, which I can't, again, actually definitively confirm um right. it would make sense for a movie being this movie being what it is right like which is right dealing with essentially the also rants of like right. in many right. ways of modern right. society right and 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 yeah. certainly of even this or like this large-scale organization that is in itself right. powerful but like is made up of lots of people who have almost no power like it's right and it's just a series of people with almost no power uh, pretending to be friends with each other until they all try to sell each other out. Right. And, and only one can win at that game, it turns out. Right. Well, uh, and yeah. he wins He wins very well at that game. Uh, well, but, he, and then, uh, but yeah. also we know as, a, as, a, as an audience, we always have in our mind that, like, if this movie is about Eddie Coyle, this movie is also about people in this situation in general peter boyle's character will only win for a certain amount of time that's fair like there's no there's no retirement like there might be and like it does it's not universal that it will end badly but the odds are so far against or not in your favor that like well the story of eddie coyle is the story of every other character in this movie given a long enough time span like essentially I'm I'm maybe misremembering the end, but uh, is it implied that his relationship with the uh, with the cop is going to continue? Is he going to get and still get his twenty dollars a week? Um, because it 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 really seems like there's only an amount of time that you can be a paid informant in in the Whitey Bulger organization before uh, that comes to a head. No matter right. What. I mean, it's it's hard to read it. Like the ending of this movie is purposely kind of hard to read. Because they just, you know, they're talking very much in these sort of like coded hypothetical, like not even hypotheticals. Right, I don't know right, what you would call right. it, like not coded language, but sort of all or, or, sort of beating around the bush. And then, you know, it wraps up with like basically like, oh, well, you can't tell me about Eddie Coyle. And like, you know, I would never ask right. you to do something you can't do. And like, which which clearly indicates the cop knows exactly what happened too, right? And which is right. which is in its own sense a very much clearly a commentary on like how this quote unquote justice system fucking operates right. here, right? And right. and and like yeah maybe maybe it ends because they got what they wanted out of it, but like clearly he's been on the like he has been a paid informant for a pretty long enough that they didn't that he didn't become a paid informant just to rat out the guys doing the bank robbery. Right, you know what I mean. Like, so right. if he's in it because not because of the bank robbery, and the bank robbery is just a sort of like, well, I've got to keep feeding you information. This is a thing I know. Then that means that presumably he's just going to keep going, which will lead you to believe that eventually Peter Boyle will, character will absolutely meet his counterpart in another sort of Peter Boyle. Right, right, right. Or it'll be that and, kid you know, he was training how to do it. You know what I mean? It's it'll be something. Right, right, right. Uh, he's you know he's higher high enough up in the organization that he is giving other people jobs, 
uh, he is respected enough in the organization that uh, he's tasked with killing Boyle. Uh, but that also seems to be. But that a, also seems to be because rather. he is specifically a hitman. Like it seems right. that he is. He is, at least within his organization, his purpose is what he does to right. Eddie Coyle. You know. Right, right, right. Even as he, it's you know, it was him who got Coyle the, the truck job. Well, that, uh, right. I mean, us finding. So that he does. It, he I, does other things, obviously. Right. Right. But, I mean, he also seems to be an information broker within the sort of the organization like people come to this bar because that's where they get the information and the jobs and stuff right um yeah it's a fascinating it's a whole fascinating thing because it it, the movie's got a lot of stuff jammed into it in in a way i really do appreciate which is this sort of i don't know what you you talk about dialogue being the storyteller driver but it's also just sort of like you would almost call it environmental, but it has to do with just people's relationships not being fully fleshed out, but rather just sort of hinted at. Um, right. Like the movie, okay. with as dialogue heavy as this movie is, it is still not really holding the audience's hand. No, it's actually not telling uh, you a lot of stuff. Like you have to infer. Right. Like this is not a a movie where you can like tune out for a minute because right. Each one of those dialogues, in many in many cases, each one of those dialogues is giving you the only hint they're going to give you about the sort of way this functions. Um, right. And if you miss one of them, you're going to be like, "Well, I don't know what the fuck is happening right now." Right. Um, and and yeah. one instance, one instance that maybe stands out to me of of that sort of thing is the the hippie couple, yeah, uh, who are trying to buy machine guns and. How much of that are are they legitimately looking for machine guns? Are they just somebody coil hired for uh, this whole deal? Uh, are uh, you know what's like coil? Coil seems to be trying to sell out the gun runner, but also sell out the hippies in this. Well, um, I, I think that I do think. But the way how does even? I don't think Coil uh, hires the hippies. I think right. the hippies are their own sort of separate commentary on right. Like, I think they're talking about a specific sort of, there's that very short period of time era where, like, it sort of felt like everybody and their brother was trying to do bank heists. Right, 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 right. And right, I think right. it's just a quick, like, commentary on, like, this guy's not even getting busted for, like, working with the mob. He's getting busted for, like, right. trying to sell guns to st- these two fucking assholes who aren't gonna like yeah i mean it's it's the political situation of the time too right. right you know um yeah uh everybody's hijacking a plane to cuba right uh, exactly yeah and and that, that i think the movie every, just wants to like every other day om- almost yeah. more for context than anything else just establish like this this puts this in a real place in time right right and it you know it's it gives someone else for the gun runner to sort of negotiate with because every every conversation is a negotiation here too, right? Right. Uh, you, know, you know, the opening with Coyle and him, his relationship to the, his supplier, his relation, eh, the guns, eh, gun runner's relationship to the uh, uh, the hippies, the gunner's relationship to Coyle, uh, Dylan, the Peter Boyle's character, his relationship to. Uh, the man's man who comes to tell him to kill Coyle that night, and he's in this, you know, constant. Uh, it's a constant uh, 
debate about what the terms of that hit are going to be, how it right. will actually work out, and uh, how much he will be paid. That whole conversation is is another negotiation. Um, and I do, I love the scene with the hippies. I'm so happy that it exists. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, I, it's just, I think it's important they are, that, like, they're not really, I think they're supposed right. to be specifically understood as also just, like, serious in their own mind, but not to right. be taken seriously. Right, right, because just the whole introduction of them, it's like, are you the guy we're supposed to meet? Are are you meeting somebody? And, like, you know, back and forth. Of, right, of, yeah, I love that fucking you got the stuff to the sell. bullshit. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I love I love his response to him. I got, I got two problems selling machine guns to people like you. The first is selling machine guns. That's life in this state. The second is selling to people like you. You're not honest. It's just, uh, it's one of the, yeah. He's got a lot of great interactions. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, Steve Keats is Jackie Brown, and uh, and it's just, it's wonderful. It's He's a wonderful character. Uh, very, very memorable. I can understand why uh, <laughs> Quentin Tarantino remembered enough about him to use his name uh, later on uh, for a very different character. But, um, but maybe not too different. Jackie Brown in the movie is also a, uh, she's a she's smuggling money and falls in with a with a weapons guy I think uh, anyway um, but yeah he's great every everything about him is great and his relationship with his supplier who's implied to have some sort of drug issue but but well, in their conversation and his suppliers and, are obviously like actually a part of the military which is pretty right right like right. are just like a bunch of like privates or some shit it's it's yeah. all very good because the movie constantly hits hints at but doesn't like bother to belabor the fact that oh this shit's all fucked up all the way up and down. Like all right, this right, right. there's no good guys, there's no bad guys. There are a bunch of people doing people shit and this is how right. it all sort of just um and like hashes out at the end. The conversation when we first meet his first supplier, the one who gets the handguns. Right. And that guy asks him about his writing, like like that that Jackie Brown is just a failed novelist, right? Yeah, and yeah that's yeah. why that's why he's doing this. Of course um, he is, because Jackie Brown is in is is fundamentally like we're. I think we're also supposed to understand him as of a piece with those hippies, just in a very different stage of evolution. Right, right, right. right like right, he's not. Right. That's why he that hates different. him so much. Right. Yeah sees too much of himself in him. Um yeah, yeah. It's it's so good. He's and he is my favorite character here. As much as I love hitting Peter Boyle anyway. Right. I mean Peter uh, Boyle's more of a like, oh, I mean, look, this is very exciting that he's in this. I mean, I don't yeah. I mean look I I wouldn't don't ask me to pick because like I find I, love, I find the cast in this to be almost Oh, it's so good. As so good, good as any of the actual like I mean, not that the writing's bad or something like that, but like the movie, it's got a very limited cast, and everybody yeah. is absolutely one hundred percent perfect for the role they are in, to a T. Just right. there's no there's Peter. It's perfect. Yeah, Peter Boyle in this playing a guy who's almost Frankenstein esque, really. Right. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. He's he's yeah. You can you can see the wheels turning every time he has to think about something and he's constantly having to think about something right? right? because he's constantly wheeling and dealing to try and get himself from being murdered. <laughs> um, you know, 
Uh, and he's, you know, the title of this movie, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Uh, obviously, Eddie Coyle has no friends. Right. <laughs> no one no and, one in this movie has any friends. Right. And that's, yeah. It, uh, and that's, and yes, exactly. That's the thing, right? Is that like, it's not just Eddie Coyle that has no friends. There are no friends right. in this movie. There are no friends in this movie. There are money relationships, but there are no friends. Well, and, and, no and well, we do establish one thing. There are good, there are people relationships in this movie. They just have nothing right. to do with this fucking organization. Right. Like, right. Eddie Coyle is very apparently does love his wife and yeah. his children. Uh, but yeah. like, they're the only relationships he actually has. And right. very evidently, by the time we get to the stage of this movie, the only relationship he understands them to be also the only relationships he has. Right. Which is why he is trying to not be in any of the other desperately to not go to prison yeah right because like Uh, the reality of the matter is is that like he knows he like the reality of the matter is is that what we see here is the aftermath of something else which is right a coil knows he was sold out like he right he got caught moving stolen goods because he was set up to get caught moving stolen goods. right to help like it for whatever the plan is the bigger plan is he was the fall guy very much on purpose. Right. And, um, you know, he, in that situation, like Eddie Quill basically already knows that he doesn't have any friends, but he, what right. he does and know is he has actually a family. Right. That he should try and to be wheels. with and get the fuck out of, get the fuck out of he's here. He's been, right. He's spinning wheels to try and try and get out of that. And, you know, the, the deal he tries to, to broker he is not offering enough information to, to for the government to broker. But what he, you know, when he sells out the bank robbers, what he asks of uh, Foley, the police officer, is witness protection. He wants to right. move to Arizona, yeah. right? Um, interestingly enough, there was there was a guy. Um, oh, what's his name? I think he's in this movie. Uh, <laughs> He was in the he was in the Godfather too. Alex Roku, who plays Scalise, the uh, the guy who's running up the the uh, uh, the bank robbery stuff. Yeah, the guy whose whose home he Coil goes to uh, late in the movie, right before he sells them out, was part of what E. Bulger's mob, and he just disappeared one day, and it turns out he disappeared. Because he changed his name and moved to Los Angeles, lost a bunch of weight, huh. became a, joined the Baha'i faith, and became an actor. Uh, and according to uh, according to the Criterion essay, uh, Bulger and the rest of the Winter Hill mob uh, didn't know where he went until they saw him in The Godfather as Mo Green. Wow. The, the Las Vegas kinmen who who get shot in the eye. <laughs> um, That's pretty wild. Whether or not that part's true, or 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 if that part is a little you know fleshing out of a of a myth, but uh, but yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that works out just because. Uh, well, I guess the Godfather did come out the year before this, so. So I guess it is realistic that they wouldn't have seen him back in, back in Boston with this one, right? Um, 
Though maybe that's interesting. If if they did recognize him in The Godfather, what happened considering Mitchum was hanging out with Vulture's crew during uh, during filming here? Uh, you know, what 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 came of Alex Alex Rocco? Um, it uh, yeah, Alex Rocco. Uh, actually, he uh, he didn't die till 2015. Had a very long life. There you go. Um, good for him. Good for him. Anyway, we did not be murdered. Uh, yeah, congratulations on not being murdered. Uh, Alessandro Federico Petraconi Jr. was his birth name. Um, so he really, uh, really changed that quite right, a bit. Yeah, I really dude. went for it. There. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm I've gotten completely <laughs> distracted now from wherever we were going with, but. Um, Right. No, just a uh, just an interesting story. Uh apparently uh uh Rocco plays plays into a power struggle within uh a gang war within the Winter Hill mob too um in real life. So, I don't know. The uh, just interesting that he was able to extract himself from the situation and become who he was able to become, which is what Eddie Coyle's character wants to be able to do. Right, uh, but, the, but the the issue being that Eddie Coyle needs to be able to do it with his whole family and and so right, right, inherently right. the thing that is making Eddie Quayle still human and alive is also the thing that prevents him from being able to just get out of there not you know right. not that I don't think the movie's trying to make a negative commentary on that or anything like that it's just that you know Eddie Quayle is in like the the, the the most sort of true of binds of a sort of mob movie which is like you he has built his life this right. way and now like there's no good end to it like there's, there's right. no way it ends well it always will end, it's gonna always end badly you um, can't get out and, and you know that's eddie coyle's story here is you know the same as the sopranos but the sopranos has you know another 30 years of american consumerism right and, absolutely uh, and well, suburbanism uh, lumped on top of it as as part of its message, but right, you know, and then the Sopranos still... is also in 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 its own sort of like trying to do its own sort of like you know masculinity commentary and stuff. And this movie's right, not nearly right, right. as interested. in This stuff movie like isn't that. actually this movie isn't actually interested in talking about masculinity. No, um, no. In fact, is... I mean, it could be you could read it that way if you were going to interpret the fact that like if you wanted to read it poorly. Uh, and you right. wanted to interpret the fact that he is powerless as a lack of masculinity, you could do that. You would be well wrong. But on uh, another on another hand, uh, Dylan is. I mean, he's not he's not presented as sort of effeminate, and it's hard to it's hard to portray Peter Boyle as <laughs> non masculine just for his size. Right, yeah. So, uh, I mean, yeah. And and, but, and people do tend to play it up in the movie, right? They tend to make him look bigger yeah. than even he But is. he is also, he is, a, his character is in a servile position. He's the bartender. Uh, he is, uh, as much as he is a power broker, uh, he is a man who moves in the shadows, always moves in the background, uh, never actively takes part in anything that we see happening on screen. Uh, until he murders Eddie, uh, which is a uh, incredible betrayal of any amount of code he might have, I would say. 
Uh, and that's, you know, he's the coward in the turncoat throughout the right. entire movie. But he's also the protagonist of the movie, and he's the only one who has any chance of escape in the end. And that maybe is a commentary on masculinity uh, it, as it I exists mean, in this universe. You, you, uh, yes, you might be right, but I, I don't, I don't know that the movie is actively trying to engage with that commentary, right? Um, because I don't think we're supposed to understand Peter Boyle's character as somebody who is bound is is has any hope of escape either, right? Right, like right, right, he's right. as locked up in this shit as everybody else is, um, and whatever you know feelings he has about what he's about to engage in are essentially understood to be irrelevant. Um, right, and he is going to, and then like you have to get in. So There's... on a sort of separate note, you have to get in the fact that like I I know that w- the movie is telling us that Eddie Coyle doesn't know what's about to happen. But at the same right. time, I feel like the movie is also telling us that Eddie Coyle absolutely knows what's about to happen. Right, right, right. They're and like the Eddie Coyle thing. gets gets tr- gets sloshed at that that hockey game with his bartender, who he's not presumably right. actually friends with, right, and, who right, just right. sort of randomly asked him out to go to the well, bar, who, or go to the the game with him. Who is also the guy who got them the job that is sending right? Eddie you know what I mean, j- though, right? Prison. Like so, it all right. feels. It, Eddie Coyle has no, to have at least some. He suspicion. has to know what's going on. And then right. another dude who he's never met before. Right. There's just some right. random punk kid. It like we see too often that in the rest of the movie that Eddie Coyle has been around the block too often to like right. not know what's up. And everything. Eddie says to anybody, everything anyone says to anybody, uh, Dylan is not breaking some sort of established code because there is no established code in right. this movie. This movie is all about, uh, well, I, I trust you right. because you said, because you promised you could get me this thing. Uh, and you know that people above me will kill both of us if you don't. So <laughs> Right. There's no, yeah, there's no such thing. As, in this world, there's no such thing as trust. Not really. Right. And the reality of the matter is, is that there's, you know, there's no friends, there's no trust, and like, kind of, there's no hope either. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, really, there isn't. Um. Yeah, I mean, like, the movie is purposely painting this really well. If there, if you were ever going to make a movie that actually were to try to succeed. And doing, you know, we talked about like war movies and the fact that you can't make a true anti-war film. And the same is can very easily be said of mob movies, right? Oh, is it like you're? It's basically impossible to make a mob movie that doesn't accidentally glamorize the mob, right? Like you're just not gonna. Like that's the nature of rendering out violence on screen, right? The closest you could get is something like this, where you're like, look. Like where you where you purposely don't show basically any of the violence, and you just basically show a bunch of people whose lives suck really really bad. Right, 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 and that's that is what uh, you know that is what Sopranos is meant to be doing, but, but doesn't actually no. succeed. Yeah, at I it. mean, like we've all we've had some conversations about my feelings about the Sopranos, and like right, I get right. I get why people like it, but I can't ever shake the feeling that that. Even people who understand what the Sopranos is about can't a hundred percent escape yeah. the fact that like And it's also it seems kinda cool. Right. And it's also what the Irishman 
was about extensively, but it has the same problem. Like, and I enjoyed The Irishman. I I watched it. I but I have to acknowledge the fact that like there it renders out scenes of violence in a way that you can mentally say, well, that was still a cool scene of violence. Right. Like, I mean, it's definitely telling a story, a very negative re- like rendering of like how this all fucking shakes out at the end. And so good on it for that. And good on Sopranos for that too. But like, unfortunately you also are going to be, f- you, the way you're telling the story means that you're going to eventually have to show like a hit or something. And one of the ways that this movie handles that a little bit better is the fact that the only hit that happens, the only like true intense violence that happens is against the main character. Right. And like he's already ha- his life already sucks completely and utterly. You know what I mean? Like Did you Go ahead. Did you watch No Sudden Move, the uh the new Steven Soderbergh? Movie? I did not. I I I've heard people talk about it, but like I haven't gotten it's not Sort of yeah. like it, in my wheelhouse, exactly. I'm sure I could watch it, it eventually on an airplane, but if I ever get on, it definitely again. owes it definitely owes something to this movie too, um, particularly in just the design of uh, the central crime is uh, it is not a bank heist, but they go to the house of the person they need things from and leave a gunman with his family while uh, while the others accompany him. To right his place of work um but uh but yeah like i said it definitely it definitely owes something here it's a phenomenal gangster movie too that you should watch but also uh it is unlike the other things we've talked about it is not necessarily one that is trying to say all of this well, is bad and that uh, and that and one of my one, personal weaknesses that like yeah, i don't it is they don't have to do that for me to still enjoy a, a gangster movie right. it unfortunately is, it's it just is, a personal thing it is one that is still borrowing from Eddie Coyle. It is still one that is still uh, everybody is in this for themselves, and everyone will turn on you at any moment. Right. And uh, and maybe uh, maybe you can't trust anybody unless you're wheeling and dealing in the background. Um, and that's uh, that's how it plays out. Won't talk any more about that, but I do recommend seeing it. It's very good. Uh, super enjoyed it. Um, but but yeah, this is. It's just, yeah, it's, it's such a good movie, and it makes me want to talk about other good movies. <laughs> right, like, yeah, I, I mean, I get that. That's, I mean, that's the, the thing about a really well-done genre movie is that it is makes it just you want sort to of talk triggers about the that, genre. Like, okay, well, now right? let's take a walk down this genre and talk right, about all the right, movies right. we like in that genre. Well, what I'll say yeah. about this one, though, is because this one, at least for me personally, I don't know. I mean, like, I've watched a fair number of gangster movies, but certainly nowhere near even – nearly enough to be like in a position where I can like expertly right, talk right. about them uh, because it's a genre I enjoy watching, but it's more of most of my engagement with it has been is semi incidental in the sense that like I will absolutely watch a gangster movie if it's like on or yeah. I, or I, or people are talking about it or something like that, but I won't necessarily um, like, I don't necessarily always go seeking them out. They're not, it's, it's a genre I like when I watch it, but I very rarely like like ah a new gangster movie. I better go right, right, and, or even like an old one. Like I don't need a, I don't feel this overwhelming desire to like sort of fill out my repertoire of. Um, <laughs> and again, I like them whenever I often enjoy the ones I watch. But um, 
I just think that, uh, you know, this one in my experience is playing in a space that like most of the ones nearly, I feel like nearly every gangster movie that I've seen in some way or another tries to deal with the sort of like mental, the sort of mental toll of this lifestyle that that is a part and parcel to this genre. But I feel like this one takes that approach well very 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 deeply it is part and parcel to the best examples of this genre well exactly that's the thing is like i don't there are there are certainly a lot of there are certainly a lot of gangster movies that are not interested right but that's talking about psychology at all i don't Uh, seek out gangster movies as a genre in themselves which means i've only ever watched what one would consider the best of the genre which means they right. it it's like war movies. There are a lot of right. very shitty, not interested in the the problems of war war movies out there. Right. Have I watched them? Not generally, because I'm not interested in those versions right. of that. Right, right, right. One hundred percent. Um actually thinking about uh thinking about this movie as accidental commentary on masculinity, if it means to say anything, uh I completely forgot that they used to play hockey without helmets, and right. uh, <laughs> yeah, and it is it is interesting of Coyle rapping rhapsodic about number four Bobby Orr with the bright future, as uh, as Orr is immediately cheered on by the crowd for getting into a fight on the ice, right? Uh, um, and just you know the. The violence as inherent to masculinity, but also the fact that pretty quickly after this, uh, hockey made moves not not exactly great moves because the only the only moves that would eliminate all of the problems of hockey would be to eliminate hockey, right? Uh, but um, but it certainly tried to make it marginally safer for the people playing it than things were in Bobby Orr's day. Right. So, uh, but yeah, it, it is a great scene. Uh, I was pulled a little out during that scene because, uh, uh, Dylan's talking about his wife's nephew who's going to meet him here and hasn't shown up. He doesn't know where he is. Uh, and, uh, Coyle drunkenly gets up to go buy more beer and the kid arrives while he's buying more beer, and then Coyle comes back with three beers, one for each of them. Uh, it's maybe right. a little bit of a mistake that that because I noticed pulled me out of the moment for a second. Yeah, um, I, I got but, a li- I actually but, too got a little confused there, and I was like, "Well, I'm just going to ignore this because like, whatever. yeah." Which yeah, it's fine. Plus, at that point, at that point. Coil's drunk enough that maybe he bought himself two beers. I actually kind of assume, like that's where I went mentally. That's, I was like, ah, right. he just got it, bought himself two beers because, like, boy, I don't want to have to keep getting up. Right, right, right. There's just you know, it's it's another or, aspect. It's another aspect of the fatalism that inhabits this entire movie. Right. right? Yeah. The other just option buy, of that just is buy a that, second like, beer. If, if 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 Eddie knows what's essentially going to happen, right? Like. Yeah. Yeah, like Eddie's goal is to just get as drunk as fucking possible to make sure he just doesn't feel it coming. You know what right. I mean? Right. Right. And and like and he's and as you said, there's he's got to know what's happening. 
And I think if he didn't know what was happening, uh, something along the way would have triggered a flight or flight. <laughs> fight right. Or flight I mean, response. like, yeah, absolutely. And it would like, have played out differently. Right. And and Eddie Coyle, m- my, we, we talked about it with the hit. And I forget the name of the character, but whether or not he actually legitimately had made his piece or not, and right, whether or not, because right. like, you know he, he he panics at the end there, right? But like at the time, we talked about the fact that like, well, that doesn't necessarily mean that he hadn't already made his piece with it. You know what I mean? Like, right. Just because at the very end, when it, when the rubber met the road, he panicked. Coil mean... Coil purposefully eliminates his ability to panic. Right, in the Coil. End. You can't. I don't see any way you can really read this movie without. Assuming that Coyle knows what's happening, and that Coyle has realized that, like, oh, there's he no, least, there's no way out of this. I cannot escape. I'm doomed. Yeah, I'm going to make he it knows, as easy as possible. There, I suppose there is a possibility that he knows it's the end for him, on a broader scale, because he was unable to sell out right. the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the bank robbers. He can recognize on a broader scale that either he's going to end up in prison or everyone will think that he sold out, well, and he, which is he what everyone does think. that out loud. Right. And so right. I think we're forced to assume that he knows. I mean, obviously you could read yeah. it different, but I think we're he supposed doesn't to necessarily know it's coming. Right. He doesn't necessarily know that it's going to happen to Boyle right now. But he talks about how he never – earlier in the movie he talks about how – he never rides or no Dylan talks about how he never rides in a car right how how you know the only time he's he's you know in a place where they could kill him in public is uh on the bus back from the track uh because of how it's how it's done so like and that can't be information that that Boyle does not or Coyle does not also have Right. Well, and that's what I'm saying is that recognize as true. So, I also don't believe that Coyle could have been associated with this organization this long and not at least have an inkling of an idea of who their hitman is. Like you may right, not right, know, right, right, right. no, that's fair too. That's fair. But too. like, you, like rumors and things, right? Like who yeah, went out just, with who, and then who never came back, right? Right. There. I only I only push back a little bit to say. There's no, there's no overt, textual knowing nod or something where Coyle no, seems to recognize it, except for the fact that he's just getting very drunk. Right, in a, a situation behavior where we've not seen him right. demonstrate any other right. time in the movie. Right, right, right. We never see him drunk any other time. Right, like we see That's him. Right. We, he hits that bo- that bottle hard. When he comes into the right. bar, after he figures right. out he can't uh, right. escape, and of course you can read that as just depression and just being like, "Oh well, like you know, I don't know what to do now." But like up until now, we've never seen a tendency in Eddie to give up. Right. Like he's still he's always scraping and scrounging to try to make make it work, and then suddenly now. Like again, right. yes, you can read it as just like oh, I'm depressed and this sucks and I'm fucking screwed. And that that's a totally valid reading, but I I think it may not be written out there plain as day. But I think we're at least supposed to understand that right. Eddie is going through a process of reconciling himself to the fact that he's. I don't think he even thinks I he's think, going to jail because he articulates the fact they're going to kill me. 
they right. think I sold them out, they're going to kill. And they're going to kill him because yeah. there's and nobody else who theoretically knows what's happening. Right, and that's the resolution he would. He knows he's going toward. Otherwise, he would be continuing to try to negotiate. But he knows right. that's yeah, pointless. like right. finding out something else he knows about something. It, no, it's it's right. over and. And he just, it also just isn't sort of in the acting, right? This is a, a, a extremely resigned person. Right. Like, right. in the end. It just, it, it is very, you know, good acting. and Right. Of course, with good acting, right, that's all meta instead of, like, just there. And so it's possible to read it differently. But, boy, it doesn't feel like you should be reading it differently. Right, right. Um. <laughs> With that whole sequence, one last line I really, really loved is uh, after after uh, Dylan shoots him in the car, and the driver, who uh, I thought I thought was hired to do the hit, but apparently was just hired to drive. Uh, right. It's just some kid who was hired to drive. Uh, kid says, "Is he dead?" and and. Peter Boyle responds, if he's not now, he's never going to be. Right. And it's it's a really good line. It is. It really <laughs> is. Well, and it kind of plays into the, it like, man, this, this movie is so immaculately written. Like, it yeah. plays into the fact that there's this sort of, even in there, there's this sort of dark humor to the whole thing. Like, very clearly, Dylan is also pretty fucked up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is not a thing he necessarily likes doing or anything like that. He's not, you know what I mean? Like, cause there's always that, the sort of different renditions of Hitman and in movies, right. right? Well, it's, it's interesting that you, uh, that you call it dark humor because, uh, the essay opens with a quote from Robert Mitchin about the novel friends of Eddie Coyle, which I think again, close enough adaptation. That is pretty true. And that's what our, uh, our essayist says. Um, but, the quote is, I think that I think that work like his, uh, meaning Higgins, the writer, I think that work like his is necessary for people to understand something about the humors of the criminal mentality. And I don't think he means humors in like the medieval. Uh, <laughs> you, don't, you don't think they're going to be draining black bile from, from criminals? Right, right, right. Um, I think he just means that the whole, the paranoia, it it, it is just silly the way they, these these folks uh, view the world, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. And every, as the essay points out, you know, the humor looming over every encounter is survival. Um, but it is, it is actual humor, right? It is right. wry jokes and gallows humor sometimes, but it is some movie that is, surprisingly humorous even as it is about oh, about someone marching toward their death right um, and, and in we the same kind way of encountered the, that the hit is also a funny well. movie yes that's what right, i was gonna right, say right. Is, yeah yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's 100 acknowledging that as a part of writing this kind of story is part of i think what goes into making a good or bad sort of crime or gangster story is is recognizing that like like it's very easy to paint a picture of the sort of people who are like baked in the bone as like bad people, right? Like that's the and like any no, like decent rendition of this will have to acknowledge that like no, these are still just people, 
who, you know, for whatever reason have ended up in a very sort of hard for a normal, you know, another person to understand their situation. But then again, like, it's also very easy to draw analogies between this lifestyle and like normal life, right? Like when you think about you, it's very easy to understand this sort of criminal organization as a sort of extreme expression of the sort of criminal endeavor that we're all sort of part and parcel to anyway. Right. Like, (laughs) right. Right. Like we're all engaged in, like we have been all, pitted against each other and forced to participate in a sort of slightly maybe slightly less violent version of this dance in our day-to-day lives right this is just the most extreme expression of it it's all still negotiation and uh and power struggle um and and it's very important to understand that like in both of those an important acknowledgement is that this is an art is is a fundamentally sort of artificial state of being right Right. Like it exists, but it isn't necessarily the natural state. It is a like we create, and and that in reality, the one we're talking about creates this one, right? Like interpersonal, interpersonal power struggle only exists because of class struggle, and right. the entire history of the world is a history of class struggle. Hey, Marx. Uh, right, and 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 it's important to acknowledge that this extreme expression that we're talking about here, in terms of gangsters and mob and stuff, only basically only come is an expression of those class struggles but taken to the most extreme form because that's how you know that's we don't need to spend too much time on it but that's that's how you this expression of like humanity isn't a thing that you get because things are going really really well for everybody right right Um, and we never meet the man we no. meet a bunch of mid to low level guys just struggling to survive. And some of them are making more active bad decisions than others. Yes. Some of them are trying to make good decisions. Uh, no one's hands are clean. Certainly not. And all cops are bad too. So oh, well and and, uh, and it's a and really like for real, for real, like the cops are the reason people are dying. Right. In this movie, in many ways, right? Like the way they choose to and 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 engage with the practice of quote unquote justice is what is getting people killed. Right. Like think about the fact that like a thing that you can like sort of the sort of mental game you can sort of play is Eddie is trying to buy his life. Right. Like he is going to his right life is going to be ruined. Because he drove some stolen things from one place to another. Think about the extreme amount of, quote, like, sort of what Eddie is trying to sell to get out of that is so much more extreme than the thing he did. You, you know what I mean? Like, Eddie moved some stuff from one place to another. But in order to buy his way out of that, the system is demanding that he do something hyper extreme that will result in his that will put his life directly in danger. You know what I mean? Like you get into this idea that, you know, we talk about things like, you know, what is, you know, property versus life and things like that, but like this format of justice is is fundamentally a, an expression of that too, right? Like Eddie has to 
use his life to bargain to get his life. Right. In order to beat, to escape from a thing that is functionally irrelevant to society. Like, in reality, right? Like, what, I don't even remember what they say he was moving. But, like, right. who the, like, it's it's a very much a who the fuck cares sort of thing, right? Was but it, 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 it is, it is. Was the truck the Canadian the, club? Yeah. They make reference to, to cases of Canadian club yeah, at once. It was it's exactly like, that. Yes, it was. It's 1978, and he's imprisoned for smuggling Canadian whiskey. Is that? Yeah, no, that's absolutely <laughs> like, it. And and that's that's like fucking insane. But like the movie yeah. wants you to know that's fucking insane. Like, let's be right, very clear right, here: the right, movie right. is commenting on the fact that this is fucking insane. And and it is really like fascinating because like we we look at all this and like. And I don't know if the movie, how deeply the movie wants you to analyze it or not, but the reality of the matter is, is that Eddie is going to put his life in deep, deep danger because Eddie also understands that, like, he's dead one way or the other, right? Like, yeah, he goes to jail for this. Like, his life is essentially over already. He's too old for this to be a really survivable affair. Um. But like the system is designed to essentially, essentially is designed to kill him, right? Like Eddie Coyle is designed is being designed is purposely being executed by the state in a very roundabout way, um, and that's pretty fucked up. Like it's yeah. a trap. I mean, like it's it's a different trap than the traps we usually talk about, but it is it is one set up by the system to make sure that your Eddie Coils of the world only meet bad ends. That they serve their purpose and then they meet bad ends. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if uh, there is a method for actively transitioning people out of that lifestyle, and then they can become actors who play the characters who are <laughs> right. That but, that, but that's the thing, right? Like, I mean, yeah, that's I mean, that's a very funny thing to have as be a part of this story. But like, right. the reality of the matter is, is that like, like think if we think about things in a different way, right? Like, why on earth would we build a system where Eddie Coyle sees what happened as the end of his life? Right. Like. Why would you end a and, person's life over fucking moving Canadian whiskey around? Like that right, doesn't necessarily right, belong right. to and you. Like it it it's it's crazy. It's like there's just, no It's just the thing is it's it's inevitable, but it is really just detritus of the system we've created. The system we've created is is meant to keep a certain level of people below the below the, the rocks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, exactly. But isn't but isn't particularly interested in what happens to any individual within within that system. No, because they, you just need to right? maintain a certain amount of people in that position, right? Like you need to have right. right. It doesn't matter who they are, and it doesn't really matter what yeah. happens to them, so long as they're there. Right, and this idea that you know this federal agent has no. No choice but to let Eddie Coyle be killed. Essentially, you know he's got to know what's going on. So, like, yeah, absolutely. As like, much I mean, as he plays, 
as much as he plays with with Dylan in the final scene of oh I'd never ask you uh, directly and uh, who knows what happened to Eddie Coyle and you know whatever um, while while Doyle's or Dylan's talking <laughs> that's it Coyle Boyle now I've introduced Doyle to my to my name console computer I, I like anyway, it I, <laughs> Dylan in the end is just like talking to Foley about pigeons and some guy who wants to kill all the pigeons yeah uh, and it's just you know it's it's the same he talks about you know and he names them as the rats of the air but his whole pigeon metaphor is just about rats and comparing this entire underclass of people to rats and the only way to solve it is to kill them all uh, but you but can't, you can't kill them, kill them all, all yeah. so you can't you can't actually solve it you know that's the right but the, the, even that if that's meant to be a moral sort of a, a sort of moral judgment it fundamentally under, misunderstands the system which right isn't doesn't want to kill them all right because the system needs, needs them to be there needs them to function yeah it, it literally gotta, the system cannot function without this this class right. of people existing ergo destroying them all would fundamentally undermine the entire system right um which is yeah. which is why that entire class of people needs to get together, uh, right? It, yeah, it's your just, boss, it's just, your yeah, boss it's needs you. You don't need your boss, uh, but yeah. Anyway. Which is always one of those things that, like, you get into that extra thing, the sort of extra extension of that, which is every so often this, because of the weird nexusing of the, all these things, you find the 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 your mo- your mobsters has also become. Uh, like working class heroes at the same time, which is a really fascinating sort of <laughs> nexus of these worlds, right? Like it happens. And like where every so often you're like, oh yeah, like the labor movement is being led by the mobsters. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess it all kind of makes sense because they're basically all one and the same person as far as society is concerned. And that's just right. how this is going to function. All, but it's all, uh, it's all the underclass. Um, some people are just better at uh, dividing up the scraps they're getting. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. I was reminded, and this is this is definitely beside the point of any of the conversation we've had so far, but but maybe an interesting thing to talk about. Um, I am currently teaching a police abolition class at uh, at my church, and for this next week's lesson, one of the things that uh, comes into play is. Uh, I can't remember who designed it, and I apologize for not being able to cite it. Um, but one of the things that comes into play is an idea of community, uh, but not... They felt, the people who designed this thing, felt that the word community uh, was sort of disingenuous in the way we talk today. Um, and, you know, it's part of uh, status quo society taking the the terminology and uh you know yeah uh trying to trying to lessen its impact but they started talking about pods and and particularly in the idea of uh alternative policing um who is in your pod so on the one hand your pod and and there'll be different groups of people on your one hand your pod is who you would call if you experienced violence who would help you to overcome that experience? Um, and then, interestingly, the second prompt 
with determining your pod is who would you call to hold you accountable if you inflicted violence? And the way community exists under capitalism in the U.S. today, who would you call to help you overcome violence? Most people really don't have that many people to call. Right. Because well, we have outsourced so that. Is, we uh, have outsourced is, that to right, right. the power structure, right? And the society has, has manipulated us into outsourcing that to the power structure, too. Uh, but who would you call to hold you accountable? Everybody's got significantly fewer people. To, right, right. <laughs> for that, too. Um, and well, right. And Eddie, then, but, you know, that also plays into Eddie's the, got, the question of, like, you know, given the nature of the way that we have constructed society, like we only understand one format of holding you accountable for harm. Right. Right. right and like right. nobody wants to do that to themselves. Right. By nature. Right. Like or 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 a loved one. Right. Exactly. Right? That's it, why it, we've constructed a system yeah. that also simultaneously deters people from actively seeking out like making reparations on what they've done because. The right. system only has one method of doing that that actually simultaneously provides no reparations for punishment. anybody. Right. And also actively harms the person who did right. did harm. Right. So And it's you know, it's where it's where we need to, when having these conversations, differentiate between punishment and accountability and talk about actual accountability right. and not just punishment. Um but anyway, I I mentioned it because I'm thinking, you know, as much as Eddie's got this work community, we talked about it earlier. Eddie has no one in either of those pods, right? Uh, you know, Eddie, Eddie, if Eddie were a victim of violence, he would just act violently on his own. He wouldn't call anyone. Right. And, and no one's interested in holding Eddie accountable. Certainly not. <laughs> least of well, all, yeah, least I mean, of all not, Eddie not as well. in the sense that we would understand it here, right? Like, I mean, Right, right. Like, Eddie is held accountable for things. They're just not right. things that are to the benefit of society. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, um, you know, just in talking about all of this, in talking about a criminal movie, uh, you know, obviously my mind wanders to police and prison abolition. So mm -hmm. I thought I would uh, throw that stuff out here, too. It's just something something to think about. Um, but, yeah, it's this is such a good movie. Uh, I know I've said that like five times now uh, because it's true. Um, yeah, no, I, the, I, uh, I really I agree completely. Like this fits 100 percent into the genre, like the sort of like types of movies in this genre where I don't feel bad after I finish watching them and feel right, like, right, I've, right. like I've personally participated in something terrible. Like it was, I, it was real. I really felt like not good, obviously, because you know it's still a very depressing movie. But this is exactly what this is the best case scenario you can offer me right. if I'm going to watch a movie that's no, that's you know at least theoretically about mobsters, right? Like, right. Yeah. Kent Jones. Kent Jones ends his essay, and I'm always hesitant of anything that approaches uh, the kids just don't understand what it was like. Um, but but he ends his essay saying, young film fans raised in the multiplex era may look back and lament the fact that no one is making movies like The Friends of Eddie Coyle anymore. 
The truth is that they never did. There's only this one. Um, and I don't know that that's exactly true because you know we've already talked about a bunch of other movies, that, right? And that I and if I if I really did some digging, I could probably come up with some more because I've definitely seen other movies right. in this sort of field of 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 thinking, right? Right. I mean, depending on how how small our buckets get, this movie can be pretty unique, um, right? But if you're willing to but, make your bucket small enough, like you can make any movie holy and utterly right, unique, right, 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 right. Like, exactly. Because exactly, every everything exactly. every movie is an artistic expression and therefore is a unique thing, right? You know, even movies that are shot for shot remakes of other movies, absolutely. Um, like, yeah, you can't do it. You can't have two movies be the same movie without them just being the same right. movie, at which point <laughs> right. you've just rendered two copies of the same movie from Blockbuster or whatever. Right, right, right Congratulations. Right. You, uh, I guess, have learned about, like, the like modern world where they make more than one copy of a thing? I don't know. Yeah, but but even even in that instance. Yeah, they're actually, really they're the not identical movie. either. Yes, yes, that's absolutely 100% true, but we don't need to get into that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, each pressing is slightly unique and different in and of itself. Right, 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 right. How it plays, how you're... How your DVD player is gonna, what? How the people what, who uh, had that DVD before you handled it and and right, or and or right. did not treat it well. Anyway, 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 um, I really, yeah, I'm so glad to watch this movie. Not mm. just because it's a fantastic movie, but also just because it's. I said this with the hit as well, but it's just it's fun to have a movie I don't really need to think about. <laughs> well, even, yeah, no, even I as mean, we have a conversation where where yeah. we can think about it and we do think about it and there's those thoughts are engaging while I'm watching the movie. This is a movie that uh at its heart is what it is. Right. Uh and there's plenty of talk plenty to talk about for it being what it is. But it's the sort of thing and I remember specifically, I said this with Hit, is interesting as a sort of thing where I can just unequivocally tell someone, hey, you need to watch this without telling them anything else about it. Right, uh, yeah. And it actually working out with no, with right. no caveats, no, with no further explanation. Sort of caveats on it or something like that. <laughs> yeah. To say, like, well, if, if, yeah. this, if this element is okay with you, then this... Right, Like, right, I mean, right, right. obviously there might be somebody for whom this movie is... is oh, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, of course, the violence but, of a gangster movie, of course. But like I would say that this one is extremely low violence altogether. Right. There are two. And, there are two murders in this movie, uh, and and, and we don't actually two. see either of them really. Right. Um, and well, the, the guy, the the clerk at the at the bank. Oh, that's we, true. That's true. We yeah. see him actively being shot. I kind of shot. like forgot about that a little bit, but yeah, yeah. Like I mean, it it is pretty classic movie. Like oh, some squibs and you fall right, over. Right. 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 Um, right. So, but like my thought process on it is also that like, um, you know, I complain. It sounds shitty, but like after whatever, however many hundreds of these we've done, there's a certain relief in me in like watching a movie in English that I can just like literally turn some parts of my brain off on. But combine that with a movie that, yeah, as you're saying that, um, I don't know. Like I don't know how to describe it exactly. Like this is a very thoughtful movie. But it is a very it is a movie with a very clear sense of purpose, so, right. and an execution towards that purpose, which means that you and I don't have to sit here and sort of like chip away at it and try to like to get to grasp that purpose. And maybe that makes it simpler in many ways, like in the sense that like well maybe it's just a dumb movie that way. But like 
I'm just thinking about the last couple of weeks have been really long, difficult conversations. <laughs> right. And this is right, just right, isn't. Right. It just isn't. I enjoy talking about this kind of movie. Right. So. Not that I don't enjoy those long, difficult conversations they are, either. Yeah, they're fine. They're good. And I like having them yeah. from time to time. But especially if we hit a run of them, by yeah. the time you're like, boy, this is hard work. Like, it's just, this is. This is possibly the first time I have ever felt, and maybe I've even said this explicit thing before, but this is the first time I've ever felt that that Criterion knows what we're doing and gave us a release valve. After watching those three Immemora films in a row. Yeah, I would have, yeah. Coming to Edit Coil is just such a breath. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, you you guys somehow went back in time and, I mean, I guess we haven't quite crossed the boundary of like, they actually know what we're doing and are torturing right. us. Yeah, um, we're not there yet. But we're not that far away from it. Uh, so right now we would still be in the in the realm of time machine for that, but we're not not for much longer. Right. And of course, Scorsese has his time machine. So right. I mean, and yeah, uh, that's, I mean possible. that's the other thing to keep in mind is that like we talk about it in theoretical terms, but we all know it's real. Right. Right. He absolutely has has it. Uh, but yeah. Um, I think we can probably pull this to a close at yeah, this absolutely. point. But we've been talking Peter Yates, The Friends of Eddie Coyle, starring Robert Mitchum and Peter Boyle. Uh, I really wanted to come up with a third line that ended in oil, but uh, yeah, well, I've, ruined, I've ruined the rhythm now, so I'm not going to try. Uh, <laughs> it's a fantastic, fantastic mobster movie set in Boston from 1973. Uh Next week, uh, we will be experience our first David Fincher film, and I am just so surprised by what Criterion considered to be the most important David Fincher film to show us first. Right. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Listen, I'm fine with not watching Seven or The Game yet. The Game is a fantastic movie, and we will eventually watch The Game as part of the collection. It's the only other David Fincher film currently in the collection. In the collection, uh, but. Uh, but the curious case of Benjamin Button, really, really criteria? <laughs> In any case, it's a long one, and we watch it next week. So uh, thank you so much for listening to Lost Criterion. I'm, as always, Liam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. in Criterion. I'm your co-host Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at lostincriterion.com or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at jonathanhape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.